Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 16, says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We're going to be looking at the second part of verse 17 today, where it's talking about the sword. And so as we begin our study this morning, let me, uh, let me tell you one of my favorite stories that I've told uh, over the 40-plus years of preaching. It's a story about a, a young lady, a little girl, who was going to visit Grandma and Grandpa for the very first time. And uh, they lived a long way away, and so they were going to send her uh, to her grandparents via the airplane. And an airplane attendant uh, carried her on board to the plane, got her through all the security and put, brought her to her place, a flight attendant, and sat her in her little seat and buckled her up and told her that in just a few minutes, some other people would come on, not to be worried. She would be in the little cabin right over here, and she'd be watching out for her if there was anything she needed to let her know, and that soon the plane would take off. <laughs> and uh, so sure enough, other people began to come on board, and the little girl was sitting there, and sitting next to her then, a, an elderly gentleman uh, sat next to her and buckled his seatbelt, and they prepared for the soon takeoff. And they kind of got acquainted a little bit. He introduced himself, and she introduced herself and had a, a little bit of small talk. And she said exactly why she was going to visit Grandma and Grandpa, and he kind of smiled at that. And they were quiet for quite some time, and the plane took off. And the elderly man sitting next to her was not quite that excited about sitting next to a child, especially one who was unattended. But the child was behaving pretty well. And until he finally was surprised by the fact that she took out from her backpack a Bible. And she opened the Bible and began reading from the Bible. He noticed that she was reading incredibly intently. I mean, it was an intensity level that he had not seen any child reading anything. And curiosity got the best of him. And he asked her, said, uh, sweetheart, is that the Bible you're reading? She looked up and said, yes, it is. He said, and what are you reading with such rapt fascination? What is it that's keeping your attention and you're sitting so still and reading about? What, what about in the Bible? She said, well, I'm reading about Jonah in the belly of the big fish. And after three days, the fish spit him out and, and all of those kind of things. And he said, well, young lady, you don't believe that story to be true, do you? She so said, yes, sir, I do. He said, well, how do you know that this story is true? She said, well, when I die and go to heaven, I'm going to look up Jonah, and Jonah's going to tell me that this story that is written here is exactly as it happened, that it is true. The elderly man looked at her and said, well, sweetheart, what if Jonah is not in heaven? Then what? She looked up and said, well, then, mister, you can ask him. It'll come to you in just a minute. In other words, he wasn't going to make it to heaven, in other words. Why? You know, I'm convinced that your belief about the Bible not only determines your faith, but determines your fate. Not only does it determine your salvation, but it determines your sanctification. It determines your salvation and your sanctification. Because if you do not believe in the Bible, this, this thing that we hold in our hand called the B-I-B-L-E, then you're going to be in trouble, not only in just this life, but in the afterlife. For this is what we hold in our hand, the inerrant, the infallible, the completely trustworthy Word of God. It is the Word. It is the Bible. 
It is a spiritual tool that God has given us. And you and I can put this, this uh, on our coffee table. We can put it on our nightstand. We can hold it in our hand. But unless we learn to swing it effectively, it's not going to do much use for you at all. And the sad reality is there are many people today who spend little time, if any time at all, not only just reading it, but dissecting it, studying it, and knowing then how to use it with its maximum effectiveness in the spiritual battle that we are in with a spiritual enemy. This sword that is described as a sword is in fact a spiritual weapon that God has given us so that we can engage a spiritual enemy, not just so that we can have something to hold in our hands, but to be an incredible tool, an instrument that God intended to, 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 to be used in spiritual warfare. And most of us know very little about it. I was speaking to someone just this morning in the foyer about someone who was uh, debating with them about uh, eternal security and the fact that we've been talking a lot about that in this aspect of the armor and the reason why uh, the Bible is so important in us understanding what it says about eternal security and, 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 and the fact that then in this conversation with this person who doesn't believe in the, this concept, once saved, always saved, uh, has caused some doubt, has caused some friction, has caused some anxiety. And, and that is so true because the enemy loves to bombard us with uh, sort of distortions and, and insecurities and disbeliefs about what the Bible says, thus robbing us, I think, of the power and the effectiveness that this Bible is intended for us to have, not just in regard to our eternal security, but in regard to spiritual warfare. And most of us, I promise, most of us more than likely never use this Bible like it was intended to be used in spiritual warfare. Now, we may know what's in the contents of this Bible. We may even go beyond that to apply some of what is being said here. But when it comes to spiritual warfare, I'm pretty convinced that most of us don't know how to effectively and efficiently use what God has given to us in the battle against the enemy so that we might walk with confidence and assurance, not just of our salvation, but our sanctification. And it's important that we understand how valuable and how purposeful this tool is in regard to spiritual warfare. And so I want us to take a look this morning at four things that are very important for us to understand as we talk about swinging your sword with confidence. Ephesians 6 verse 17. In the opening verse that we read earlier in verse 17, in the middle of that verse, verse 17, is a little B. And we're going to take a look at somewhat the idea or the context of what we're going to be studying today. So give me that on the screen if you would. And I just want to sort of lay a foundation for what we're going to be talking about. It says, in addition to the pieces of armor just identified and described, the spiritual warfare must take, spiritual warrior must take the sword of the Spirit, given and empowered by the Spirit of God, and implement its purpose and power while engaged in spiritual warfare. Notice that it is the Word of God that is given by the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God as we use it in spiritual warfare. This is the Word of God given to us and empowered by the Spirit of God to do close hand-to-hand -hand combat with the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. 
We must not only receive, believe, and know the word of God, we must employ God's word in order to be equipped and empowered to defend against and defeat our enemy. Do you know how to use this effectively and efficiently in spiritual warfare? For the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, is more than just something that we hold in our hand, put it on our nightstand, and bring to life group and even to worship. It's more than that. Or something maybe that you might have on your iPhone uh, that you carry around. It is, it is an incredibly wonderful power source for the spiritual warrior to use it as he and she engage in spiritual warfare. So let's take a look at four things that I want to highlight very quickly on how we can effectively use the sword that God has given us. To effectively use my sword, I must first of all secure it. I know this sounds elementary, but it's incredibly important. It is something to be secured for my devotion and the dynamic of my relationship then to the Son of God gives me the sword of the Spirit to be used in spiritual warfare. There is a devotion and a dynamic that results because of my relationship with Christ that I am then equipped with the sword of the Spirit. Notice he says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. That word and is a conjunction. It brings together what is said previously and what is about to be said. And that word and points us back to the word take in this sentence. You are not only to take up the helmet of your salvation, but you are to take also the sword of the Spirit, meaning that you are to take it up, you are to pick it up, you are to secure it. It has become yours. When did I receive the sword of the Spirit? Well, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You received the sword of the Spirit when you heard, notice the word, the logos, the message of the gospel. When you heard that truth, you put your faith, trust, and belief in Christ. And it was then that you received then the sealing of the promise of the Holy Spirit. To the person that I spoke back in the, in the back room, this is one beautiful verse about the assurance of the believer. Notice, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That means there's a lid on it that is so tight that nothing you can do or anyone else can do can separate you from the love of Christ. And so here we see that we are to secure it. The moment you heard the logos, the message of the gospel, and you trust in Christ as your Savior, you then receive this beautiful equipping of the sword of the Spirit. For it was the sword, the Word of God, that brought about your salvation, and it was the Word of God now that you are equipped with in spiritual armor, and you must pick it up. You must use it for that purpose. How many of you own what I call, or we all call, a cell phone? Who in here owns a cell phone? Come on. Come on, niece. I know you own one. Anybody in here not have a cell phone? You do not have a cell phone. All right, you're probably about 70 and up. Right? Mostly. I remember when they didn't have cell phones. Yeah, I'm that old. They didn't have cell phones. And then I remember my first cell phone was a cell It, it wasn't really much of a, well, it was a cell phone, but it was, it was, I mean, it was huge, and it, it was a kind of a huge, and it came in a bag, and I had to set it next to, you know, the seat between my truck because it was so big, and it actually had a phone that you picked up, 
and you had to run something through, your, through my truck and put an antenna on the truck so that you could get reception. I remember that phone. I don't know what happened to it, but it's a, it's a, it'd be great. It'd be worth a lot in it, probably in, a, in an antique store. But it really wasn't that long ago. And now they're, some of them are, what, about that small? They're, they're small, aren't they? And now we use them pretty much like computers. I, know, I don't know if you do, but I do mine. It's, it's of course, some of you are not as, as, you know, mine's an apple. If you don't have one of those, I'm sorry. But uh, one of these days you'll wake up and join the elect and get an iPhone. But anyway, until then, uh, you know, it, it has everything on it. Now, when I, when I think about, when I thought about this message this morning, I thought about how I use my cell phone. It is the last thing I touch before I go to sleep. Why? My alarm's on it. I want to make sure and get up in the morning. Not that I, I really, I don't sleep past five o'clock anyway, but I just want to make sure that I don't, and I plug it in, and I make sure that the alarm is on. Even though I know it's on, I always check it. Don't you? And then it's the first thing that I touch when I get out of bed in the morning because the alarm is going off. You know what I'm talking about? I know people in my family that carry their cell phone around with them everywhere they go in their house. They cannot be found in their home without holding their cell phone. Would you ever dare leave your home without your cell phone? No. Why not? That would be insane, right? Would you travel with that? I mean, we are so connected to our cell phones that when we're without them, you know what I'm talking about, you're already in panic mode, right? And you're looking for it. You want to know where it is. You want to have it in your possession at all times. The question I have for us this morning is, if we held on to our Bibles more than we held on to our cell phones, what kind of spiritual warfare and warriors would we be? Now, I know what some of you are thinking, well, I got my Bible on my cell phone, so therefore it doesn't really talk, you know, that's not me. I got my Bible right here. I got my cell phone, I got my Bible, and got the Word with me all the time. But more than likely, you're not reading that Bible on your cell phone as often as you need to. The point that I'm trying to make is simply this. Maybe we need to put our cell phones down more often and pick up our Bible. Or maybe we need to treat our Bibles with more value than we treat our cell phones. Think about it. Maybe the reason why we're defeated, discouraged, questioning, wondering, powerless, ineffective, inefficient in our battle against the enemy is because we're not picking this sword up enough and we're not gripping it in our hands. My mom used to say all the time, you can't go to church without your sword. And she always used to make us get our, our Bibles. And we, yeah, mom, I, I've talked about you. She watches us. So, you know, you don't ever go anywhere without your sword, she would say. She would make us carry our Bibles to church. And yet, how often do we not carry our Bibles, the Word of God, with us everywhere we go? I was, I was coming in uh, to, this, to the auditorium earlier and fumbled because I was carrying so much that I dropped my Bible. And, and I thought I'd bend it, you know. And uh, I was able to bend it back so you can't really tell. Um, 
Have you dropped your Bible somewhere along the way and forgotten to pick it up in this journey of faith? And maybe that's the reason why you're so defeated and discouraged in your faith and powerless and ineffective and inefficient against the enemy is because this isn't in the prevalent priority place in your life as God intended for it to be. I wonder if you spend as much time studying this. Are you ready for this? As you do watching TV. You know that junk on television? That is unless you watch the Hallmark Channel, and then that's pretty good stuff. Anyway. You know, I got to let myself slide a little bit here and there. But anyway. You got to secure it. You got to grasp it. You got to hold on to it. It's got to be there. The Roman soldier always had his sword either close by or attached to his belt at all times. For he wasn't aware of when it might be necessary, but he wanted to know that when it was necessary, it was close by and it was handy so that he could grab it and use it in hand-to-hand combat against the enemy. we got to secure it if we're going to use it. Secondly, we have to study it. You've got to study it. Notice and take the helmet of your salvation and the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Studying it through a devotion and a dynamic in my relationship to the Word of God or to the Scriptures. There is a a dynamic that happens when I study the Word of God because it brings incredible power and resource into my life. I need to study it. Now, the Roman soldier was a soldier that spent an incredible amount of time in preparation for using his sword. It was more than likely six inches to maybe maximum 12. Some believe maybe as many as 18 inches. It was not a very large sword, and it was always right here when he was around, and he could always grab it. And he spent hours literally training how to defend with the sword and how to attack with the sword so that when he took it out of his sheath to use it, he would be so efficient in hand-to-hand combat that he could defend himself against the enemy and defeat his enemy with just his sword. He spent hours learning not only what it was, but how to use it. And you and I must understand that if we are to to bring in this incredible relationship in the dynamic and the devotion to winning in this spiritual warfare, it relates to the dynamic and the devotion that we have toward the Word of God. And we spend today very little time studying, really, the Word of God. Now, I'm not talking about just studying in regard to content. But I'm talking about studying and how it is to be applied and how it is to be used in the dynamic of spiritual warfare to study it and how it is to be used. And we offer many different opportunities. And I just mentioned Life Group, for example, and we have some incredible Life Group teachers in here this morning who do a great job in preparing the Word of God every week to deliver the Word of God in small groups so that you might be equipped to know how to handle then the Word of God in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. Is that fair, teachers? If you're a teacher of, in life group, I want to invite you to stand. Would you stand? Stand. Come on, if you're a teacher. Come on. Don't be shy. Okay, look around you. See any one of these standing? 
Sign up for one of their life group classes and be there Sunday morning at 9.30. How about that, guys? There you go. Thank you. Notice in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So this sword, this dagger, so to speak, this incredible word is to be used by the Spirit. In John 14, Jesus tells his disciples as he is instructing them that he's going to send them a helper. And that helper is going to be the person of the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And it is that Holy Spirit that's going to instruct them, going to teach them, going to remind them of the words that he has shared with them. And it's the Spirit's responsibility then to not only teach us what we study in the Word of God, but to then how to use it and apply it in the dynamic of spiritual warfare. But how can we be led by the Spirit unless we study the Word of God to be able to know the Word of God, to be able to then to be yielded to the Spirit of God so that through the Word, led by the Spirit, we can be empowered in order to engage in spiritual warfare. We've got to study it. Why? Because Hebrews 4.12, not on your screen, notice what it says, the word, the logos, the message of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's an invaluable weapon. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. It is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We need to be people of the book, but people who study the book, not just in life group, not just on Sunday morning. I mean, how many of you could survive on a diet where you ate one time a week? Anybody want to try to live on one time a week? How long would you live? Not very long. Could you eat twice a week and live very well? Not very long. You would deplete yourself of the, of the resources that your body needs, and you would quickly become nothing but bones and skin, right? Without any strength and without any power. And yet many believers today operate as if all they need to do is open the Bible, maybe in life group if they come, and then on Sunday morning in here and then go home and say, well, I've done my chore and I've done my duty, so therefore I've studied enough and I'm ready to engage in spiritual battle. It's important. Why? Because if you don't know the word, guess who knows the word? Satan knows the word. He knows the word. Genesis chapter 3, not on your screen. I'm just going to read it to you. If you have your Bible, turn there to Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty. He was more cunning. He was more deceptive than any of the creatures that God made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She took out the logos, which is the written, the message of the word of God, and she used it as a weapon, speaking the word of God. Eve knew that the word of God was not only something that she was to know, but something that she was to use when the enemy tempted her, when he came at her to tempt her with what God had said. She was doing really good up until this point. But notice verse 4, but the serpent, meaning the devil, said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Got to watch out for Satan. He's pretty sly. Is he truthful here? Absolutely. They will know good and evil. And they will be somewhat like God, but they will not be God. And you know the outcome of the story. What happens? She looked at it, desired it, took it, ate it, and gave it to her husband who was standing by her side. Satan knows the word of God and he knows what God's word says and he knows it very, very well. And we must make sure that we too know it very, very well because as we engage the enemy, he is very cunning, very sly, very deceptive. And he will come at us so, so, you know, behind the scenes and disguised and, and to bring doubt and to bring discouragement, to bring defeat in our lives as we seek to try to handle the Word of God. And it's important that we study it, that we know it, and that we use it well. So my question to you is, how well do you know the Word of God? And when's the last time you actually picked it up and studied it? More than just a five-minute little devotion on Sunday morning. You know, those devotional books are great. And I use a couple of them. But a lot of times they give you like a little bitty verse and then they give you about two or three paragraphs of something regarding that verse and people close their books and say, well, I've had my devotional today. You think that's sufficient? Eat a piece of toast for breakfast in the morning and then try not to eat anything else after the piece of toast. You're going to get hungry. And you're going to have to fight what we call an appetite. There's something greater that we fight called the enemy, the devil himself, and the flesh, and the world. And we are bombarded and surrounded by so much ungodliness and so much worldliness today that if we don't become disciples who are digging deep and studying intently the word of God for ourselves, not being just spoon-fed, but studying for ourselves. Well, I don't, you know, somebody said, well, I don't know the Bible as well as you. Well, my question is, why don't you? Is it just for me? Or should it be for all of us? To study it. Well, we've got to secure it. We've got to study it. But thirdly, we've got to swing it. You know, it doesn't do any good if you don't swing it. You know what I'm saying? If you have a weapon at home that's there for security purposes and somebody's robbing your home while you're in it, if you don't take it out and, and use it, what good is it? If you're in a hand-to-hand combat, close proximity with the, with the enemy, and you have the dagger, the sword, or the word of God close by, or even in your hand, or even in your head, or in your heart, but you don't implement it, you don't swing it, what good did it do you? You've got to utilize it for the purpose for which it was given to you. 
God gave it to you for the purpose of swinging it. It's a sword. It is not only a defensive weapon, but it is an offensive weapon. It is the sword of the Spirit, and you have to swing it. But notice that it's a sword of the Spirit, third person of the Trinity, who is the source of the Word of God, but also the strength of the Word of God. The strength in the Word of God is not you. It's not us. It's not man. It's the Spirit. For it is the Spirit that empowers the Word of God to be effective as a two-edged sword, to be effective in not only defending, but in defeating the enemy. It's the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit that resides in you. And it's that Spirit that empowers the Word. And we see sometimes a lot of people in what I call the charismatic circles or the, uh, even the Baptist circles who somehow believe that the power source of overcoming the enemy is something that they have from within, that they themselves are defeating the enemy, but they are not the ones. And so we, need, we must remind ourselves that any source and any strength that we have from the Word of God comes from the power of the person of the Holy Spirit who empowers the Word that we speak. It's the Spirit of God who does that. And our relationship to the Spirit of God is of incredible value. Because if you and I are not relating in a devoted and dynamic relationship to the Spirit of God, the end result is no matter what we speak will not be powerful. And many of us as Baptists have gotten away, we've shied away from the third person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit because we're afraid to become Pentecostal or Baptocostal or whatever. But the third person of the Trinity and our relationship to him, devoted and dynamic as it needs to be, is what empowers the word. And if I am not relating to the spirit in a right way, then how then am I going to be effective in what I am to do in regard to spiritual warfare? For the Bible says in Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And if I've been guilty Monday through Friday of grieving the heart of the Holy Spirit by a lifestyle that is not conducive to the life that I, I, I need to live, if I'm harboring thoughts I shouldn't think or feelings I shouldn't fear, uh, feel or, or actions that I shouldn't be doing or, or whatever it is, characteristics that are displeasing to God, it doesn't matter. You can worry. There are all kinds of sin. But if I harbor sin in my life, I am grieving the, the Spirit of God, and in spiritual warfare, I am not going to be as strong as I need to be. Why? Not because of my belief in the Word, or my knowledge of the Word, or the way I speak it, but because the Spirit and I are in a, in a hostile relationship. I have, I have grieved Him by what I have said, or things that I have done, or thoughts that I have thought, or feelings, and I, and I harbor those, and as a result of grieving the Holy Spirit, I'm not in, in that dynamic relationship with Him, and I'm going to be less powerful in my relationship to the enemy in spiritual warfare. For He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. So I'm not only not supposed to grieve him, but I am to be filled with the Spirit. I can't engage in a spiritual enemy if I'm not spiritually filled with the Spirit of God. And I need to be filled on a continual basis 
As I yield to his leadership and his control and his sovereignty over my life, I then become filled with the Spirit. As I, as I allow the Spirit of God to apply the Word of God in areas of my life that are displeasing to God, in the application of that Word, I then confess my sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness so that as I enter into the battlefield, I'm in right relationship, not just with God the Father and God the Son, but God the Holy Spirit. And too often as we engage the enemy, we fail to acknowledge and tap into the spiritual relationship we have with the Spirit. Ephesians 3.16, not on the screen, says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit. Where does the power come from? From the Spirit. Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the encounter with the disciples, not on your screen, but in the Word of God, it talks about this incredible power of the Spirit. Notice verse 17, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Did you know that even demons can be subject to the name of the Lord? But I want you to notice there's, a, uh, there's two little words there that I think are very important that you need to highlight. It says, the Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. To us. And Jesus gives them a word of warning in verse 16. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you nonetheless or nevertheless. Do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's saying to them, what you have, this power source that you have is a grace gift. And the power source is not really you. The power source is the Spirit of God by using the Word of God in the name of Christ. So as we speak forth the Word of God, the Spirit of God empowers the Word of God in our relationship to the Spirit of God so that it is effective in spiritual warfare. But if my heart is living in a grievous relationship with the Spirit, and I'm not being filled with the Spirit, I'm living with sin in my life, and I, I'm just I'm enjoying a life of flesh and carnality and sin and worldliness, and all of a sudden the enemy attacks, I want to just spurt out some scripture and think I'm going to have incredible strength and incredible power. It doesn't work that way. And the end result is devastating to those who think they can live otherwise and yet tap into the power source available through the word of God then lastly I need to speak it I need to what was the first one come on secure it second study it third swing it in the power of the spirit not in your own power you have no power on your own don't get high and mighty and cocky and think that you're somebody special and that you're better than anybody else and the power source is the same. Number four, you need to speak it. Notice the word, which is the word of God. That word for word is not logos, 
It is Rima in the original language. And there's only one reason why I mention that. And some of you who have been, been, been listening to me for 10 plus years know that I don't just spurt Greek out just to tell you I know Greek. I do it for a purpose because this is not Logos, which is the message or the gospel. This is Rima. And Rima is different than Logos because Rima is the spoken word. It is the spoken word. When I secure it, and I'm studied up on it, and I'm walking and living and keeping in step with the Spirit of God, as he talks about in Galatians chapter 5. I haven't grieved, I'm not grieving the Spirit, and I'm being filled with the Spirit, and I speak forth in this beautiful word, this, I speak the word of God. I speak it, I remi it, not just something that are words on a page, but I speak it out. It's something that is spoken. There's an interesting passage in Ephesians 5.27 that the Apostle Paul uses the same word under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he uses for us in verse 17. It's a beautiful passage. I've used it before in this study as we talked about spiritual warfare, but verse 25 in chapter 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Can I get an amen, ladies? Come on, ladies. That was weak. Can I get an amen, ladies? All right. All right, we're done. Let's give an invitation. All the husbands come forward and repent. No, I'm just kidding. But notice, in describing, this is why marriage is so sacred, because it describes the relationship of Christ and his church with the relationship of the husband and the wife. Okay? Christ never abandons the church, and the husband never abandons his wife, nor the wife never abandons the husband. The church never abandons Christ. But anyway, another time, another message for another day. But notice that he gave himself up for her. Why did Christ give himself up for us? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That word word is rima, the spoken word. Notice that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word, the spoken word. What is the effect of the spoken word? It brings cleansing. It brings a right relationship to God. It helps us in our spiritual battle to defeat the enemy and defend against his lies. The spoken word provides salvation. It not only protects us from our salvation, but it promotes sanctification in our spiritual battle with the enemy. Who seeks to do what? To destroy us through what? Through sin. So when the enemy comes and he tempts me to sin or to violate a standard or principle or precept of God, how do I defend against him? By speaking forth the word of God empowered by the spirit of God through a right relationship with him because I have the son of God who resides in me and my salvation is secure. Therefore, it has incredible power to defend against the enemy and defeat his attacks. Jesus did it in Matthew 4. Let's look at it real quick. I want to read it very quickly. We're just going to run. I want to make one point in this text. Matthew 1, uh, 4, 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Notice, who led him to the desert? Who? The Spirit of God led him there. 
If you think you can be in the center of the will of God and not be tempted, you need to wake up. You can be right with God in the center of the will of God, doing the will of God, filled with the Spirit of God, not being, not being grievous against the Spirit of God, and all of those things are right, and the enemy's still going to come. And the Spirit of God led him into the place of temptation. Why? To help us understand how we might, through the Spirit and the Word, combat like Jesus, the enemy. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Duh. And after fasting, notice the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Does he have the power to do it? Absolutely. The guy who can walk on water? And raise the dead? Who put the stars in their place, who created the universe, has the power to do that. But he, Jesus, answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on a pinnacle in the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Wow. Verse 7. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Continuing to verse 8. He says, again, the devil took him in a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you serve. And what did Jesus do? He spoke the word of God when being tempted by the enemy. What's the lesson we learn? Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 11 that Jesus, when he came to this earth, equipped him with the word of God so that Jesus, taking the logos, the written word, spoke it, meaning the spoken word, in defending and defeating the enemy who bombarded him, trying to get him to compromise from his previous mission. Was it possible for Jesus to be tempted? Uh, That's another debate for another time. The Bible does say that he was tempted in every way that we were tempted, yet he was without sin. Would it diminish his sacrifice on the cross had he not been subject to temptation? Maybe, maybe not. But he's showing us how we are to withstand the temptations of the enemy. So when he comes knocking, and he will, how do you defend yourself? With the sword of the Spirit. You got to secure it. You got to study it. You got to swing it. And you got to what? What? Speak it. You got to speak it. There's incredible power in the spoken word. How did you get saved? How did you get saved? You heard? Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You got saved through the spoken word. Somebody shared with you the gospel of Jesus Christ, and in sharing that gospel, he, he pierced the darkness of your soul, enlightened you with understanding that Christ was who he was, and you place your faith and trust in Christ. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. 
The reason why people get saved is because they hear the spoken word. Satan is defeated and was defeated in your life because of the rima, the spoken word. The enemy is equally defeated after salvation in our sanctification through the speaking of the word. And when he comes and he knocks on the door of your heart and he tempts you to feel that way or think that way or look that way or hear those things or whatever it is he's tempting you to do, speak forth the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God. And notice verse 11, and the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him and he will flee. Because it's not if, but when he comes knocking, we need to be able to resist him as we submit to God and the devil will flee. So as we close, here's the question I want to ask. Have I been taking the sword of the Spirit seriously? Have I been taking the sword of the Spirit seriously? And what do I need to do today to take the sword of the Spirit to protect my family? The enemy is coming against your marriage. He's coming against your parenting. He's coming against your children. He's coming against the children, against their parents. He's trying to destroy the family. And I'm convinced the only, the only asset that we have that helps us protect ourselves is the sword of the Spirit being utilized in its proper form and in its proper way. So what is my next step? What is my next step? A right relationship with the Son. If my relationship with the Son of God isn't what it needs to be, then I can never overcome the enemy and defeat Satan and overcome sin. It comes through a personal relationship where I place my faith and trust in Christ and accepted him as my Savior and committed to him the leadership and lordship of my life. It begins there. If you are not a Christian, you are defeated already. And it's only through a personal relationship with Christ can you have the victory that is necessary to continue to live and to walk in victory. Secondly, you need a right relationship with the Spirit. Some of us today are believers. We're saved, and our salvation is secure. But we're harboring sin. There are thoughts we shouldn't be thinking. There are feelings we shouldn't be feeling. There are things that we're saying we shouldn't say. Things that we're listening to we shouldn't listen to. Things, places we're looking at we shouldn't look. Places we're going. There's compromises. There's, there's characteristics that are displeasing to God. And he has time and time again spoken to us about those things. And we think that God doesn't care. And we wonder why our sword is not working. Which brings us to the third point, I need to have a right relationship with the scriptures. So I ask you, what is your next step today? Let's pray.
If you're here to support Jordan Stevens and her baptism today, if you're her family, let's first, if you're family, would you stand if you came here as her family? Would you stand family? All right, we have several of those. And if you know her and want to stand in support of her decision today in following Christ through this beautiful ordinance of baptism, would you join them in standing? That should be the whole church, right? Come on, church. Yeah, there you go. I know you just got settled and comfy, but we're going to have you stand in a minute anyway. So, Jordan, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and accepted him as your Savior and Lord? Yes, sir. It's my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in his death to walk in the power of his resurrection. Father, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity we have to participate in this wonderful occasion of this baptism of our sister in Christ. And I pray that as she goes forth from this time, that you would empower, enable, and equip her to be used for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.